It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to our special COVID-19 series of podcasts, which offer differing perspectives from a wide range of people who are doing their own thing to work through, cope and deal with the virus during these unprecedented times. We begin with eminent psychiatrist Dr. Brendan Kelly, who in record time published his new book, Coping with Coronavirus. Let's face it, we could all do with some inspiration at this time, and there's no shortage of people with stories to tell. Emily Watson gave birth recently, but in very different circumstances this time round. May I say congratulations to you on the arrival of your new little baby girl. What's her name? Thanks, uh, Charlotte Hope. I take it the Hope is, for a particular reason, is it that middle name? Yeah, my daughter actually gave her the name Hope. At this time, everybody needs it, don't they? How many children have you now? Um, I have four. Okay, so little uh, Charlotte Hope arrived into the world on the 28th of March, a few days ago, weighing in, I can tell everybody, at a very handsome £8.4 ounces, and... You were there as her mum, but Daddy wasn't. No, he wasn't there. What um, was the story? Tell us. Um, I got. We were. I went to the hospital about a week before, and they said to be prepared that the, we might not be allowed a Burton partner with us. So I rang the day before, and they said that he wasn't allowed to go. So I went in alone. I got a lift to the hospital doors, and then. Just went in by myself and had her with the midwife. So Daddy Tommy, yeah, Daddy Tommy couldn't go along. Had he been there previously at other births? Yeah, he had. Okay, so how was he feeling? What did he feel about this? Um, he was okay. Um, we understood that it was to keep other babies safe, to keep the midwife safe and keep the mommy safe. So that's all we could do was follow the rules, I suppose. So who was with you when she arrived into the world? Um, um, three midwives were with me. Um, one of them was with me the whole time. <clears throat> Sorry. And then two more joined in at the birth. Okay. So you had company, but it wasn't the man you wanted there or who was no. uh, this little baby's daddy <clears throat> wasn't to be. Um, you've had three other children in the past. You'll never forget, obviously, this delivery. No, definitely not. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> You're all right. You're all right. Um, um, no, it was very different. Um, I did cry a few times because obviously you didn't have the support of someone you know that was there. Um, but the midwives were very supportive. I can't thank them enough for what they've done. 
and they were lovely. So when did Dad make first contact? Obviously, he couldn't be there. So what did you do? Did you use, um, I take it you used technology? Yeah, we did. Um, we FaceTimed. So as soon as I was able to ring him, I FaceTimed him and introduced Charlotte to him over the phone. Was that an, was that an emotional moment? Yeah, it definitely was. So you stayed in then for how long? Uh, 24 hours after she was born and then I was allowed to go home, but I was there for two days. Okay. So you could go home then at that stage and then, of course, the introductions happened to Dad and the other children. Yes, we did. We came home and um, the kids were all excited to meet her. Now, they did see pictures of her on FaceTime, but it's different to see her in person. Of course, I can imagine the joy that was at these times. You know, normally they'd be up to see you. Yes, they would. Yeah. But not on this occasion. What about your dad? There's a story with your own dad as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, my dad um, flew home to see her from England and um, he came down to see her and he had to see her through the window. Mm. Um, He couldn't come in, obviously. Um, Everyone's in isolation or keeping safe, (laughs) trying to keep her safe. So he just didn't come in. And the same for your mum as well. It's been from a distance that the introductions have been done. I'll tell you one thing, not just yourselves, but all over this country, there's going to be some blast of celebrations, ain't there, when we get yeah. beyond this time, Emily? Definitely. I can't wait to introduce her for, to everybody as soon as it's allowed. Um, I suppose we'll have a party. <laughs> you certainly will and and many more parties beside please god so she's doing well yeah she's doing really well and um, she's feeding great and sleeping great she's just slotted in amazingly now the other thing to mention is tommy your husband and all of your family were cool with this but when you were in there with the midwives and there were other ladies there having babies and some girls and women for the first time, which is even more stressful, I'm sure, when you haven't been through it before. But you were, were some of the midwives getting grief from other relatives? There were. There was people, I know, um, on the phone, I could hear the midwives um, trying to calm people down and they were arguing with, with them, saying that it's not fair shouldn't be allowed and whatever else but them like it's not up to the midwife that's not what they were stressing it's not their fault they're just following what they're told to do mm. and people need to know this and we say this to people today it's stressful at end of life it's stressful at the beginning of life for everybody as well but these measures folks if you are due to go in to have a baby and you're a partner or related to them please do understand the regulations carry even to the beginning of life in maternity units. And I just want to say that on air with you today. Now, we've spoken before about Lacken and Emily's baby bank, uh, which you were a founder of. Just tell our listeners, what does the baby bank do? Um, we help uh, mothers and families that are in need of clothes and nappies and baby milks and stuff. Um stuff that they can't afford that they contact us and we help supply them with what they need for their new babies and um, we supply maternity packs as well for people going into the hospital um, if they can't afford to get their maternity bags together we help support them with that so where is 
that work now? I know you're a bit out of action for yeah. <laughs> these days because of the new arrival. But uh, are you still operating in the context of the emergency? We are. We have closed down now um, dealing with the public a bit, but we are still dealing with emergency cases. Um, the girls have taken over. There's about six of us all scattered. Um, we're scattered all over the place. So um, they've been helping out more so because I haven't been able to. Yeah. And there are ladies giving birth to babies in difficult circumstances, you know, personally uh, at this point in time who need help from your charity as well. If, if anybody's listening today and they're in that bracket or they know somebody who might need a little assistance, how do they get in touch with you? Um, they contact us through Facebook, so they go onto our Facebook page and then on through Messenger, and then they'll get one of the girls through there. Okay, so if you're in emergency accommodation or you're struggling on your own, uh, Lacken, L-A-K-E-N, and Emily's Baby Bank is the name, Lacken and Emily's Baby Bank, and you can check them out on Facebook, and they are there, and they are operating. They're making that clear to us today. Well, listen, I better let you back there to look after that young woman. <laughs> By God, you'll be telling her in years to come the stories, won't you? Yeah, it'd be amazing for her to <laughs> see what has happened. It's going to be great. It certainly is. A baby with a difference arriving at this time. Listen, I wish you well, Emily. Thank you so much for taking our call on late lunch this afternoon. Thank you. Marathon man Stephen Dever was running those 26 miles plus, come what may. And I'm beginning today with a man from County Mead who ran a marathon yesterday. Good afternoon, Stephen Dever. How are you? How's it going, Jerry? It's going well, but I hear listeners out there already saying, Jerry, does that man not know that he can't go farther than two kilometres from his house? How the hell did he run a marathon? Tell us the story. Um, last Sunday week, I was going for the uh, for a run, a 2K and 2K back, staying within the radi- radius distance. And... Uh, I was. I wanted to get 5k in, so I started doing a few loops around the house to get to 5k, and I was just saying to myself, what can I do to help me mental health uh, and, and keep me going through this tough time and help other people? And I says, well, while I was training at the time for a marathon, a couple of ultra marathons, to be honest with you, and they're all postponed because of what's going on. So I had to train and done, and I says, you know what, I'm going to do a marathon around the house, for Piesa House. So um, last Sunday night, I set up a page on Facebook and the, the support I've got since has been unbelievable. You know, it's been brilliant and I've raised a good bit of money as well, which is great. And, um, you know, I I made the decision that at 6, as um, I'd start to run last, it was Saturday morning at 6 a.m. And... Uh, I started at 6 a.m. and um, I done 5k one way and then 5k the other way around the house to keep my legs both supporting the knees and the ankles, you know, because this was going to be a tolerance. This, this was, I'll be honest, Jerry, was the toughest mountain I've done because I couldn't build the momentum. I was turning the corner every time. But um, I had a couple of good podcasts and I was listening to some good music. I had the things I liked going on in my ears to keep me distracted from what I was actually doing. You know what I mean? So yes. it was that that was a big help for me, you know what I mean? So uh 
you know, it was a it was a good thing to do, you know. It was fantastic, and I loved the strap line around the house for Pieta House. It's yeah. truly, truly wonderful. But listen, around your house, what would it measure in distance? So you had to keep going round and round all the time. What would it be? Uh, I'm, I'm not actually sure now, to be honest with you, Jerry. But um, I'd say it was every five, six seconds I was doing a loop. So, oh my! Like, something like that. I could be wrong, but something yeah. like that. So okay. I was kept. I just kept plugging along, and I gave the race a name. Actually, I called it the Dever City Marathon. So I did. <laughs> uh, you know, for a bit of banter and humour, like you know, because that's what Love I'm it. into. That's my side. I'm not into uh, fast times. I'm into good times. You know what I mean? That's uh, the mm. way I look at things. And, um, you know, it was uh, a big thing uh, to do, you know. I'm proud of myself as well for doing it. Don't and you well. should be so proud yeah. of yourself. Yeah. So around the house in one direction and then you turned and went the other yeah. direction. Did mm. you take a break at all or did you keep going until you did I the 20, 26? Uh, in fairness, now I had a, group, a great crew there um, with me, uh, my mother. My mum uh, got up at around half nine and uh, she made me a travel mug cup of tea. So I was walking and drinking the tea. I kept going. She made me a couple of nice cups of tea, actually. They were lovely. <laughs> and uh, I was eating the Jaffa cakes and I had the banana as well. Keep the, keep the body going. And I had a good bit of Ishka as well, to be honest with you. So that was good. So uh, I, I treated it like a proper race. Like, Jerry, I wore me, me club colours and I have an AC for it as well. Like I really treated this. I had I had my nav and AC colours and I had a buff around my neck as well to keep the neck warm. I had my mm. born to run buff from Tralee where when I lived in Kerry I ran with them as well. And um, they were my two clubs I loved the most. So I had them with me on this journey. So that was a big thing, you know, for me, you know. They mm. helped me in my running over the years, so I'm truly grateful for that. So um that's what I wanted. You know, positivity positivity wearing positivity as well as doing something positive. You know what I mean? So that's the way I looked at it, you know? You are a wonderful man, and this is an inspiring story. It really is. So you started at what time in the morning again? 6 a.m. Saturday morning. And what time did you finish at? Um, I finished uh, uh, under 12 o'clock. I was under six hours run, but I'll be honest with you, I actually done more than the actual 26.2 miles because my 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 app kept stopping when I take a picture and I ran <laughs> a mile without even noticing but I wanted to keep going to prove that I'd done it and I posted yes. it up on the page so technically speaking I'd done an ultra marathon so I did <laughs> I'd oh, done around brilliant. 28 miles so I did <laughs> you know but I didn't mind because I, tra- I was training for ultra marathons anyway so yeah. that's the way I was looking at it you know so you know, it all, all my training came for something worthwhile, thank God, you know. so. And for you, for you at this time, we spoke, you joined me in studio some time ago and you told us mm. your life story when you mm. ballooned up to 21 stone, nine pounds and yeah. uh, you got it back down. You had a little bit of a blip along the way. You went up mm. again, but you came back to it once more. Mm. And you, you said to me then that running was such a key part of this. But getting your life in order, you were saying first, you had to get the mental side right before the physical side. Just expand on that a little for listeners today. What do you well, mean by that? Well, uh, when I started running five years ago, right, before I started running, like, um, uh, you know, before I started running, um, I'll, I'll tell you the story, right, uh, uh, like how it was. My life changed.
change for the best when I stopped drinking uh, back in the 21st of March 2007. And I went through good times and really bad times and I didn't have to pick up a drink to deal with it. I could pick up the phone and talk to someone. And around five years ago, uh, something tough happened in my life. And it happens. These things happen. You know, you take the rough with the smooth. So I started running uh, and I was living in Kerry at the time. And I joined up with a running club in the store called Kerry Crusaders, a lovely bunch of people. And uh, I still had this anxiety in me when I was running. I just didn't believe I could do a marathon or anything like that. And I was doing my 5Ks and 10Ks. And even when I was running a 5K, I had massive anxiety. And I couldn't shift it. So one day, it was a Friday evening, a lovely evening. I was running a 10K race in Tralee. And I met up with this uh, sound, one of my best mates in the world now, Mazo O'Shea, I call her. She'd be listening to this online, of course. And... Um, she told me, she said something to me that stuck in my head with me running. She says, what's your PB? And I told her my PB is like personal best. And I said, oh, such a time for a 5K. And she says, what's your PB? And I said, I told her the time again, you know, no, Stephen, your PB is when you can go out and go for a run and be grateful you can do it. And that's what stuck in my head. And after that, then, I started running a bit more herself and her running club in, in Trilly Barn to Run. And I started believing a lot more in myself, really started believing a lot more in myself. So um, I started, my first ever marathon was actually an ultra marathon where I'd done uh, a six-hour endurance race in the Stole, at the end of the Stole Endurance Running Festival. There was a 24-hour, 12-hour, and three-hour. So I went for the six. And uh, I'd, done the, I'd done the marathon in five hours. But I had to keep going for the six hours. So I nearly done up 30 miles. And it was one of the proudest things I ever did. And then after that, I kept going. I started doing longer runs and challenging myself more. And, you know, it's all about your mental state. You know, just go out and enjoy it. The more you enjoy it, the more you want to do more and do more and do more and do more. And I certainly believe since I put the top on the bottle that I can do anything I want to the best of my ability, bottom line. And that's the Brilliant. God's honest truth. And I know wow. for a fact that my in my running, I like that we're all going through a tough time at the moment. I understand that totally. But the bottom line is, is, you know, just get out, do a bit of exercise, by yourself, be positively, lo- positively lo- lo- lonesome, like not in a negative way. Go out by yourself, do your walk for 2K, come back and, you know, do a few runs around the garden. The people, if you start thinking that, oh, oh they'll think I'm mad, never, never mind that. There's madder things going on in the world at the moment. Your mental health is so important. And the majority of us on this station now are listening to this and not doing anything because they're not working at the moment. So we need to keep positive. We need to stay focused, you know, and that's mm. it. Like, if we don't do that, you know, it'll be more than just this virus that affects us. It'll be our mental health, and we don't want that. We don't need that. We need to be strong. 
you know, and that's how I feel on it anyway, Jerry. you know. Yeah, oh, you're a top man. You really are. You're such a, a great fellow. I, I knew that from the first Thank time you. I met you, and I just wanted to let people hear today what you did in your own way, raising money for Pieta House, getting out there, not letting the restrictions stop you. And your message is perfect for everybody today. We have to maintain the positivity, even though it's difficult at this time, but we have to do our best. All of us do our best. Will you do me a favour? Will you send us into LMFM? Have you any uh, little fun? footage of that of what you did i have a video uh taken i'll send it into us will you yeah i will of course yeah yeah yeah. we want to see it we want to and we'll fire it up on our website there and we let people have a look at you and what you achieved a marathon round this house in the back garden on saturday last i'll tell you something i'm in a sweat here sitting in the in the house here even thinking about it (laughs) to be honest (laughs) with you Listen, you're a great guy, and uh, honestly, you've you're you're a fellow who you know came back from the brink. You give up the drink, you lost the weight, you got involved in the running. You're a proud member, I know now, of Navin Athletic Club, and you love it there. And yes. look, I, w- I want to say thank you to you for telling us your story and sharing it with us today, Stephen. Can I just say one thing, Jerry? Uh, just before yeah. I go, uh, I know we're all going through tough times at the moment, and we've all had meltdowns over what's going on. If you're feeling down, just pick up the phone, ring a friend. I had a nearly a meltdown a couple of weeks ago over this. I rang a friend and I felt the benefits for us. It's good to talk, as they used to say in that ad on the telly. <laughs> that's what you do. You know, that's it. You know, Absolutely. So thanks Absolutely. for talk, Jerry. Not at oh, all. Thank so you much. for joining me no on the show and best wishes to you, Stephen. Thank and you. You're doing a great job as well, by the way. And we need thanks a million. Local. We need all the local stations. Thank you so much. No I appreciate bother. it. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. No bye bye. That's Stephen. Thank you. Stephen Dever there, ladies and gentlemen, joining me on late lunch this afternoon. What a man he is. We'll grab that uh, wee video and we'll put it up and you can look at it for yourself. A marathon round his house. Isn't he just something else? Aer Lingus captain Brian O'Sullivan made history on that first flight to China to collect vital supplies of personal protective equipment. My first guest was one of the pilots on the world's most tracked flight when Aer Lingus EI-9019 flew non-stop to China to collect life-saving equipment to help Irish frontline healthcare staff tackle COVID-19. He's from Garristown, he's on the line. Captain Brian O'Sullivan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking my call. I suppose I'm curious to ask you this. Did you volunteer were you chosen or were you press-ganged? Uh, it was a little bit of everything, uh, to be honest. There were uh, a number of us working behind the scenes. Uh, we knew about it before everybody else did, uh, and uh, we were working behind the scenes and preparing the flight. It was a collaborative agreement between Aer Lingus and IALPA, and uh, we had the issue of having to fly the aircraft for, you know, uh, about 28 hours, and uh, it's unprecedented. You can't really do that inside the regulations. So we had to come up with a way of being able to do it. And uh, so there were a number of us working behind it and doing uh, some scientific studies on rest and how we'd be able to manage it without uh, getting tired and wanting to sleep, etc., and how we'd share. And then the preparation as well for the flight uh, with, uh, you know, charting and uh, flight plans and everything else. So there was, we had been working on it before, so obviously we were probably the natural uh, people to go on the first one, the pathfinder, to figure it all out and uh, to come back and report any issues that we had. Mm, yes, trailblazers, history makers. There were five of you, five pilots in total. Now, the the journey itself, what, 28 hours. Do Aer Lingus fly any routes normally as long as that? 
No, well, we were on duty uh, for 28 hours. So the flight on the way down was about 11 hours. I think 11 hours and two minutes. Uh, sorry, on the way down was about uh, 10 hours and on the way back, 11 hours and two minutes. So we were actually flying for 21 hours. Right. And normally the max you can do is 16 hours. And then, of course, we were on the ground for six hours down there as well. So, you know, from the time we left Dublin, uh, report for duty to the time we uh, returned back was about 28 hours. Okay. But, yeah, so that's it's kind of unusual. Um, and, mm. of course, the five pilots then were required... Uh, to be able to do that, and, and that's what we figured out. We needed five five pilots to be able to get adequate rest and, and stay alert. So that uh, you know, there were always two pilots who were uh, rested and alert throughout the duty. Yeah, that's uh, it's reassuring to hear that. I'm sure for everybody and for yourselves, especially similar. Then, of course, to a Los Angeles flight for Aer Lingus time wise. Yeah, it'd be like going to Los Angeles and turning around and uh, waiting for six hours, turning around and coming back. Yeah, yeah. Now. When you make this flight, not normally flying to China and across different airspace, how did that work out? Well, we did a lot of preparation uh, for it, and uh, like we spoke to uh, some other airlines, and uh, they shared their uh, notes with us and their procedures. So we were able to uh, tap into some of that. Uh, Dave Morrissey and myself had flown in China before uh, when um, with different operators. And I'd flown in Russia before with another operator. So we were a little bit familiar with the procedures and the airspace. And uh, having been there, albeit a long time ago, um, we were familiar with the procedures and the airspace and what we could expect there. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we got, uh, we, we uh, contacted uh, other airlines, uh, sister airlines within the group of IAG, and uh, we got some uh, help and advice from them as well. When you touched down over there, you were involved in actually uh, the loading up of the aircraft while some of the others took rest. Is that the way you had it planned? Yeah, well, the, the other guys were, were uh, the guys who were going to fly it back um, were resting. And uh, then I looked after uh, the uh, immigration and uh, the protocols that we had to follow over there and then uh, kind of oversaw the uh, loading of the aircraft uh, from inside, albeit, like, you know, um, and, uh, yeah, well, they were resting. And then they, you know, of course, uh, they prepared then for uh, the return flight. So about an hour and a half before we were expected to depart, uh, they started to ready the aircraft then and prepare the aircraft for the departure. So they tried to get as much rest as they possibly could uh, on the turnaround. Much turbulence on the way there or back? Or was she a smooth flight each Absolutely way? Absolutely smooth sailing, clear skies. The weather, we said it ourselves, we couldn't have gotten any better weather. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, the weather conditions were superb. Uh, light winds as well, so that's why the, uh, the flight times, uh, we didn't have really, really strong headwinds uh, on the way back. It was a little bit longer, but uh, you normally you could expect it to be a bit longer than the 11 hours. But uh, no, we had perfect conditions. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, I took a rest then after we departed out of China. Um, for a couple of hours and then they went back into one of the seats as well to fly a little bit to share some of the workload with the guys on the way back as well we all did we rotated around and as we as we felt good we occupied a seat and flew it was an historic flight for sure were you conscious that it was one of the most tracked flights ever well I discovered that in in uh, when we got to uh, beijing all right um uh, kind of knew, we knew the importance of the flight uh, from behind the scenes, you know, the HSE wanted the equipment uh, and wanted it as quickly as possible and, and a lot of it. And uh, so we knew it was very important uh, on a personal level. And then when we were departing, Dublin Air Traffic Control said something uh, and uh, kind of uh, focused in for us, uh, like that this was important to everybody and it was becoming kind of fairly public knowledge that the uh, flight was happening. 
And then on the turnaround in Beijing, uh, I had to send some emails back to the company and uh, all my WhatsApps and my texts and messages and emails. And then I realized uh, how followed the flight was uh, by people in Ireland in particular and even other places in the world. But I mean, uh, everybody was really supporting the flight and supporting us, what we were doing. And uh, it was great. It was a great boost, to be honest, uh, great help to keep going, you know, on the way back. You're flying since uh, 1981 when you became a, a pilot um, and th- being a pilot or this job, was that something you wanted to do? Was it a, an ambition of yours from uh, childhood and when you were at school, college, etc.? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I started flying fairly young. I think I tried to get lessons when I was eight and of course discovered I was too short and way too young. But I started <laughs> flying uh, when I was about 13 or 14 and then... Uh, I joined Aer Lingus in 1988, so it's it's always been a, a lifetime's dream for me. Like you know, and, and feel very fortunate to be doing something that I love to do. And normally, what are your routes? You fly transatlantic to America, anywhere else? Yeah, just mostly uh, the, the USA. The A330 goes to America the most of the time, and occasionally we do Malaga flights. We do the first in the summer season. I think it is uh, we do the early morning Malaga flight uh, down to Spain, um, and then the rest is all uh, mostly transatlantic, uh, all the USA destinations. In all those years flying, you know yourself, flying for people is a, a big issue. Some people have never flown in their lives. Some get very nervous when they fly. For others, well, they just hop on and off. God knows what's going to happen uh, beyond this, Brian. But that's for another day. Being up in the air so much, in your career there, have you had any you know, worrying times? Or? Uh, not really, no. Um, look, we're trained deal with uh, everything that can happen you know i mean i, I feel uh, more a danger driving into the airport i've had more near ones on the road than uh, <laughs> i've never had a near one in an airplane like you know so that puts it into perspective for you like you know once i get to the airport i'm safe <laughs> <laughs> i love it i know you're not too wrong there for sure i'm well familiar with the roads around the airport and at times you are certainly taking your life into your hands i suppose like just to finish out today um it is an uncertain time, isn't it, for you guys and the industry in particular? Yeah, I mean, I, I, not just our industry. I think, you know, um, yeah, it's worrying times um, uh, for the industry. I mean, to have airplanes sitting on the ground, you know, they need to be moving to to, uh, to make money and to pay the bills. And, uh, yeah, it is. But, I mean, I, you know, uh, the time will come. We'll all uh, go back to normal. And, and I, you know, I see our lingus being in a position to... Uh, return to profitability and to uh, to be able to operate again like you know uh, absolutely that Please we, we, we'll rise up out of this every absolutely every and i just want to mention as well some of your colleagues Eamon Kieran's i know from Drogheda Park King from Castle Bellingham and Joe Elliott from Ashbourne are all other guys here around the northeast who fly as well have they been on these flights they have each and every one of them have uh, done flights uh, already uh, to uh, Beijing yeah absolutely and they're all captains on the A330 and have done flights yeah Wonderful, wonderful. God, we're well represented, aren't we, for the little northeast corner of the country in the air with Aer Lingus? Uh, we absolutely. No, they'd be kind of uh, uh, locals. There are plenty of other people uh, who uh, they haven't flown uh, under Beijing, but there'd be plenty of other Aer Lingus pilots living uh, in the northeast, all right. Uh, yeah. Popular spot. Are you, are you due back or what's the story from here on? Yeah, no, I'm flying next uh, week. Um, I think I'm going to New York. Uh, we're trying to share the flying around so that uh, we keep our pilots current. You know, you have to do a flight once in every 45 days, and there's about 280 of us, so we have to try to keep uh, everybody uh, with our license current so um, we have a bit of flexibility there and uh, we have enough people that uh, continue to be qualified to be able to fly the aircraft. 
Yeah, yeah, but very important, I know, because that regulation has to be met and uh, it's good to keep everybody flying and uh, the fleet moving. Thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on making history. Thank you very much, Sherry. It's been a pleasure. Making great music at 80, the wonderful John Sheehan. What a man. Beautiful Merino Waltz. It just warms the cockles of my heart every time I hear it. And when I hear that song, I think of one man, John Sheehan. And the man himself is on the line with me this afternoon on Late Lunch. Hello, John. How are you, Jerry? Nice to talk to you again. Ah, nice to talk to you too. Well, John, I have to say this. You waited a little while to release this first <laughs> solo album. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I celebrated me, <laughs> my 80th birthday there last May. And, uh, yeah, I've been threatening to bring out an album of all my own compositions for a good few years, and I eventually got around to it <laughs> this year. Actually, me, me, me kids put me up to it and said, come on, Daddy, you're talking about this for years and years. You're 80 now. Let's have a go. <laughs> so this is the result. Flirting fiddles, I called it. It's beautiful, John, yeah. and we've been playing it since we received it a few weeks back. And oh, in the lovely. current, it's lovely. It, it really is lovely. You've made a wonderful job of it. But listen, John, you're inspirational. It's never too late. Ah, oh, no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, I've been writing tunes for a number of years. I've written 56 in different styles. I've always been intrigued with, with uh, Kind of different combinations of musical notes, how they can direct different emotions and feelings, you know. So there, there's a mixture of different uh, fiddle styles here, like uh, classical and there's a bit of a swing tune there, um, diminished swing, and then there's a couple of tunes with orchestral backings and string quartet arrangements. So quite a variety of different sounds and styles on it, you know. Flirting Fiddles, yeah. the title, uh, there's a lovely ring to it. It rolls nicely off the tongue. Where did you get that title from? Uh, I'll tell you now, it, it, that it started off as a as jig, and I, I, I just called it the, the happy jig. It has a happy kind of a sunshine feeling about it. But I, I was working an arrangement for it for two fiddles with a very good friend of mine, Jane Clark. She's a, an English fiddle player living in, in Copenhagen. And we had the day off from a tour one day and we spent a couple of hours working out this arrangement. But as we slowed down the tune to, to work out the harmonies in detail, it seems like the fiddles were talking to each other. I'd, I'd, I'd make a, a musical statement and she'd reply. And there was a flirtatious feel about the whole thing. So we came up with a new title for the tune, Flirting Fiddles. <laughs> but, it's a uh, lovely it, name. Yeah, so it, it, it kind of suited the general title for the album as well, because in effect I've been flirting with different fiddle styles over the years, so the title Flirting Fiddles just fitted in there as well, you know. It's wonderful. Yeah. I watched your concert on TG Carr back on St. Patrick's Evening. Uh, oh, good man, yeah. The, yeah, the celebration of your 80th birthday with the likes of Glenn Hansard, Declan O'Rourke was there, Imelda May. Yeah. Wasn't she lovely to you, Imelda? She's a- <laughs> she was great, yeah. She's a gas character, and, and near the end of the show, I think I came across in the program, she said, John Shane, I love you. 
and 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 me saying that's lovely, that's great, Amelda. But my wife is here, and she loves me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great line. Oh, you were like you were like lightning back to her, and you were you were minding the old home base as well, John. <laughs> but she she's lovely, Amelda. I love Amelda. She's she's a lovely girl, and but what mm. you see is what you get. She's just herself. There's no put on. There's there's no. There's no stage act or anything like that. She's just herself. It's a great, great crack. Yeah. What did it mean to you to have uh, on Tukderon, um Michael D. Higgins there to to celebrate your 80th with you? Yeah, I, I think we're, we're we're blessed to have him as a president. He's a great, great patron of the arts and a great supporter, and uh, a great knowledge of of uh, Irish history and folklore, and a great poet himself, of course. But uh, I've been up at the artist a uh, number of celebrations up there every June, the middle of June. He has um, a Bloomsday celebration, and uh, I've been up there quite a number of times. So I've gotten to know him well over the years. But his wife, Sabina, you know, she was a, a pupil of Lou Kelly's wife, who was a, a, a great actress, and she had a school of acting in Dublin. And Sabina used to go to her for classes. The two of them actually used to be up there. So we, we've known him. We've known him over thirty or fifty years, I suppose, and uh, just a wonderful character. But when I when I was having that celebration concert in Vicker Street, I I phoned up the artist and spoke to his uh, one of his secretaries and uh, told her the story. And I got a ring back in a few minutes, just saying Michael D and Sabine would be delighted to come on on the Friday night. So it was a great honour to have them there. You know, it's it's not not that many musicians can say I had the president at, at my at my birthday party, you know. Mm. So it was great. Yeah, it was a great occasion. The Dubliners and you, you are the last of the Mohicans. How did you yeah. survive longest? I've always wanted to ask you that question. What did you do differently to the rest of them? Were you good, clean living and looked after yourself? Yeah, I think I drank a lot less than the rest of them. Um, and for the first, my first few years in the Dubliners, I didn't, I didn't drink at all, but I eventually started taking a glass of wine with a meal and and thankfully kept it in, in, in a realistic uh, proportion to everybody else, you know. But uh, no, the rest of them are fond of the drink. But uh, for 99% of, of the concerts we did, I suppose, that there was never an abuse of it before the concert and uh, it never affected the, the gig. There was always a feeling amongst us all that, you know, there's a gig coming up. We have to have a professional attitude here and give the public, you know, the best that we have to, to offer. So... Yeah. It never interfered too much like that. But there, there were some funny stories about it over the years. Um, Barney was coming back from a gig one night in town and uh, the breathalyzer test had only just come in. And uh, he was pulled in for the check checkup anyway. And, and uh, the guard asked him, uh, were you drinking tonight, Barney? I think you were weaving a bit there coming along the road. And Barney said, yeah, yeah, I had nine or ten points I was at a session. And it got a shock at the, the admission, first of all. Nine or ten points. He said, Barney, would you blow into this bag? And Barney said, do you not believe me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know something? You should put your uh, time now to actually recalling lots of those stories and putting them down in print as well. If that's a, a, a flavour of, of uh, just a touch of uh, all the stories you have over the years, I think it'd be phenomenal. Maybe it's something to think about. But look, the other thing is, in your time at the Dubliners and your own composing and writing and music and playing with the great and good, do you have a favourite yeah. song of your own? I know Marina Waltz, Waltz we all love, but is the one that John Sheehan loves more than most? 
Um, there is actually the, the final track on the album. It's another uh, orchestral arrangement, Autumn in Paris, the, 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 the name of it. And uh, I, I, I kind of fancy that one. And sometimes I, I surprise myself at some of the some of the other tunes that I have written, which have turned out very well, like Diminished Swing. It's um, a jazzy tune. And I got Richie Buckley, the great sax player, to join me on that one, along with some other jazz musicians. And, uh, yeah, I keep surprising myself at, at times. You know, I listen back, I listen, looking at the album the other day and said, jeez, I can't believe that I wrote nearly every track on this album. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, you did. You're yeah. a legend. You really are. And the other thing I was looking at this morning, I was looking at you playing with Andre Rue. Uh, was oh, that a special that... night? That that was indeed that that was done in the the old well what's now called the old tree it was the Point Depot in in those days they called it uh, yeah Andre Rio um, he's a wonderful uh, violinist and a great big orchestra and uh, he's kind of known as the the world's king of Europe and uh, when he was planning to make his first visit to Dublin he he spoke to somebody in the the Irish record company and said is there any Irish waltz that I ought to know that might go down well in the concert so. They, they they suggested the Marina Waltz and he got the music and, and uh, recorded it. And then when he, a short while before he came to Dublin, I got a phone call um, to see would I join him on the on the stage and, and played the Marina Waltz as a, a fit with the orchestra backing. So that was that was a special occasion. Yeah, that, that was something really really nice to be acknowledged by somebody of his caliber as well. It was a real a real honour, you know. Oh, I have to say, and well-deserved. Yeah. You're you're a fantastic man. Just before we finish, and I want to play out with, with Marina because I love the song so much. How are you getting mm. on? Are you cocooned? Are you getting on Where along? And, okay. Myself, myself and, and Mary are cocooning, which is, it's not it's not something uh, that's very strange to me because I often did a bit of cocooning in between Dubliners tours when I come home a bit knackered and I stay in the house for maybe a week without going out. So it's... Uh, we're, we're accommodating each other. Make I think the secret is, you know, if you're cocooning with your partner, I think that the thing is to make room for each other and leave space to for the other the other person to, to pursue their own interests, you know, and you do your own thing and then get together and maybe cook a meal together and do a bit of gardening and rambling around, just a, a rambling kind of a day. And, and the, the time is flying in. We're, we're quite enjoying each other's company in, in a fresh kind of a way, you know. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> John, thank you for joining me on the show. I really yeah. appreciate it and I wish you well. Yeah, thanks very much, Jerry. The same to you. And keep 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 making those great programmes up there. You're not too thank far you so much. yourself, you know. I'm County, County, no. County Dublin myself. I'm near that old Peacock sound. So, well, we'll uh, see brilliant. you, please, God, down the road. You'll pop back into me and we'll have a lengthy chat. Thanks, John. We will indeed, yeah. Thanks very much, Jerry. God bless you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's it for now, but do check out our other COVID-19 special podcasts. And be sure to join us each afternoon for Late Lunch from 1.30 on your station, LMFM. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.